On today's show, we are getting to know J.D. Shustar. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The links in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. The Finance Cowboy. Was it even close? That's pretty close, dude. That's pretty close. close. I've been called worse. I've been called worse. No, Sustar, that was right on. Right on, bro. Close. Yeah, I think I did. Whatever. Thank you so much, dude, for coming on letting people get to know you. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. I'm excited to be here, and I appreciate you having me. Yeah, and it's funny because we were rolling on, like, 15 different things before we, um, I don't know, actually hit the record button to start, but we should, I, to me, I want to start with just the basic, like the finance cowboy. I've seen the Instagram video explanation when I was scrolling through. Um, I forget the first name, but I think you were definitely right to change it. Cause when I heard it, I was like, ah, yeah, this is way cooler. (laughs) Um, so give me and the listeners a little background on what, how did the finance cowboy come to be? So today, Finance Cowboy has over 70,000 followers. But as of a year ago, I believe it was July, somewhere between July 13th through 16th of 2021 is when I started Finance Cowboy. So it's only been alive for a year. Oh, wow. And it's been all organic. I haven't ran ads. I haven't bought followers, nothing like that. Um, it's just been off of you know content and helping people out. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and I've always thought like the whole social media internet space is cool, but I have a great job. I have a family. I invest in real estate. 
Uh, I have a lot of other things going on, so I've never taken the plunge. But what made me take the plunge, and I made a video about this, so you can hop on my Instagram at Finance Cowboy and check it out. But my, it's actually my brother-in-law. I didn't say this in the video. I said a good friend of mine. But one of my brother-in-laws, because <laughs> I knew he would see it. And my, I'll, take, I'll tell you this story too. My, I have an intern who posts all of my videos for me. So I create them. And then I have an intern from the local college who, who uploads them all. So I'm not on Instagram all day. Dude, Thank that's God. smart. Can, it's very nice. Can you so stay takes, there for a second? How did you decide? Did you approach the college? Did you have to hit mm-hmm. a certain amount of followers in order to make it worthwhile? Like social media department? How did that work for you? Because that's genius. No, I just, you know, I was getting to the point where I was like, you know, I was doing it a lot myself, like coming up with content each day. And I was, it was taking a lot of my time. And I was like, okay, like I'm starting to grow. I got other things that are expanding. Like I need to batch this content. And so, so I started batching the content. And I was like, you know what? I need somebody... To like upload this for me, you know, and, and reply to some generic comments or generic DMs, and then I'll handle all the like in-depth stuff. And so I just went to the the business, the dean of business at the local college, Anderson University, where I live, and I said, "Hey, I'm looking for an intern." Uh, told told him what I was doing with social media it has to do with real estate, so they'll mainly be doing social media. I also introduced them to real estate as well. You know, do you got anybody? And they sent me, I think, two or three folks, and I interviewed them and, um, you know, just picked one of the guys that I liked and thought he was a hustler for his age. And so now, you know, I actually have now, it wasn't like this until recently, I have somebody, I, I sit and I batch 60 videos in one day. So it gives me two videos a day. So those really okay. pretty videos that you see where it looks really crisp and clean. I sit in front of a camera and one day shoot all of those, send them to a guy in Austin, Texas, who actually grew up in my hometown. He edits them, puts the captions, everything, and then he uploads them to a Google Drive, and then my intern posts them for me. Got you. So you've outsourced quite a bit then if you're having somebody edit and caption for you. It is, and I read a book this year called Who Not How, and it really it really opened my eyes to like when you hit a roadblock and you're starting to get really busy, instead of thinking like, how can I expedite this? Think who can expedite this? Who can solve these problems for me? And so it's costing me uh, because at this point, Finance Cowboy isn't really generating much income. I generate a little bit off the uh, calculator that I sell, but it's very inexpensive. It's 25 bucks and you know it's totally worth it. Uh, but outside of that, I don't have any other income generators. Now that'll change in the future. Um, so I'm coming out of pocket for a lot of this, but I know there is a lot of, um, upside and I know that it's worth it, you know, for me to be able to invest in other things. And so, yeah, so we're rolling with it, but jumping back to like how it started, (laughs) which is, no, that's a great question. Like it's, it, it, I would recommend anybody like utilize interns. Most of the time they're free. Yeah. And um, it is a great way to get a lot of help and then help somebody. And I think that's the scary part when people are on that cusp. And maybe hopefully I'll be able to get to that point with, I don't know, the editing of the pod. I get more downloads than I have Instagram followers. It's been a weird trend, at least on the podcast side of it. But it's a scary plunge for me to be like, do I want to do the 50, 60, 80 bucks, whatever, to hire people to edit, to post, to upgrade my content because will I get that back or am I, am I just having a stupid hobby that yeah. it's gonna, it's dumb money. I'm throwing bad money or throwing good money after bad money, right? So yeah. I think a lot of people on that social media world are like at that fork in the road. So I think it's yeah. cool that you're sharing that story. And I didn't do this until I had about 50,000 followers. So just to be completely uh, okay. transparent, so I use me and a camera for the first 50,000. 
So you can grow, and I could keep going. There's a lot of my buddies on here who are still doing it that way. Okay, so there's just because you have a nice, clean video, spend two thousand dollars on a camera and lighting and this and that doesn't gain you extra followers. Mm. Um, there are tons of people doing it with an iPhone, and I would recommend that to the majority of people and do it yourself. And you can batch it yourself. You can batch your, you know, your content. Do it in a day, and then spend the next day editing your content, and then you're done for the next 28 days. And so you could definitely do that. I'm just being very lazy with it. I have a lot of different ventures going <laughs> right now. And uh, so I'm having to make sure I allocate my time correctly. But uh, if you didn't have a ton going on and you were solely focusing on your brand, that would be my recommendation. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, because you are the finance cowboy and you do real estate stuff. So yeah, yep. I'm sorry, I won't interject any again. But yeah, so then what's up? Finance Cowboy, brother-in-law shout out? <laughs> yeah, no, it, that was a great question. Do you know? Do, please pipe in at any time. But my brother-in-law, and if he sees this, I apologize. I love you. I got three of them. So they'll have to guess. He probably knows which one he is. But he is a <laughs> super, like he's one of my best buds, unbelievably smart, highly educated, was in school until he was 32. And he's a doctor. Uh, he's got two master's degree, farm D, I mean, all kinds of degrees, just a genius. And he is like three levels down from the CEO at one of the most prestigious hospitals in America. Mm. So the guy is like, got it together. And I'm more like of a wild card. Like I'm, I've done very well financially. So like I've had a lot of success, but I'm not like buttoned up, you know, it's like, I'm wearing jeans and shorts and like not looking good. You know what I'm saying? And so I have been having a lot of success with real estate over the years. And I'm like trying to convince him like, hey, like you're doing well, you're making good money. Like you really need to start investing in real estate. And he always would just kind of blow me off. Like, you know, not disrespectfully, but just like, you know, I don't know if Jaren or JD knows what he's doing. I don't know if he knows what's going on. You know, I'm not going to invest in that. It seems risky. He's putting loans you know, on properties. And so he just, he never, he never would do it. He'd always just come up with an excuse. And so one day I start getting texts from him. It was from a guy. He starts texting me investing tips from a guy on Instagram. And the guy's name who is a great follow is called the wealth dad. Wealth great dad. follow. Okay. Great follow. He gives unbelievable content, but I look at Sean as his name's account and Sean has, you know, whatever, 30,000 followers. And Sean's 26 years old. And when you look at his portfolio and his net worth compared to mine at the time, I was trying to convince my brother-in-laws, it was very minimal. But because he had this social media clout oh. and because he was an authority <laughs> in his position because of social media, my brother-in-law, highly educated, very smart guy, executive, who would not invest in anything but his, it's not a 401k in a hospital. What is it? A 403b? That's minus for the state. Yeah, exactly. So it was a 403b or something along those lines. That was the only thing he would invest in. Now had started investing in index funds because of this 26 year old called the wealth dad. And not only is he investing in these index funds, he is now trying to convince me you know, at this point, my net worth was well over, you know, 1.5 million, which is pretty minimal compared to a lot. of. I know it sounds, I mean, I'm thankful for it, but like compared yeah. to a lot of people, it's like still pretty minimal, but he's like, it was a lot more than this wealth dad's guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he's trying to convince me to invest in these index funds based off of this guy. And so I sat there and they're like, you know, at first I'm like, what bro, get out of here. Like, number one, I'm not doing that. Like I invest in index funds. 
very minimally minimally as like a liquid asset to be able to pull out to buy more real estate. Mm. Um, but I like to buy real estate. And so I'm like, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm not investing in index funds. But then it hit me. I said, okay, if this 26-year-old on Instagram can convince my 37-year-old very educated brother-in-law to start investing, just because of clout he has on social media, I have to try this. Must out. be something to it. <laughs> Must be because I was like, dude, I have information that can help people. Like I've had a lot of success, pad ups, I've had downs, and so I jumped in and did don't, it. And but don't talk- you want to see my chart? I've got pie graphs and line graphs. Yeah. And he's like, no, this dude has a video. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh, he says I need to do this. I'm like, you know, okay. So you mentioned my name that I started with. The name I started with was the million by 30 coach because my wife and I had reached millionaire net worth before the age of 30. And, you know, I ran with it for three or four months and I was like, this is too niche. It's kind of like douchey. Like I don't like it. This isn't my vibe. And I was putting my boots on one day and I I had kind of like just been trying to think of a different name. And like the name, when I put my boots on finance cowboy came to mind, I was like, bro, that's it. Like that is it. And I had, I had started, mainly just talking about personal finance stuff in general, which I still do to this day. But I started throwing in real estate stuff that I had like been through because I had 22 properties at the time. Oh, wow. And we had accumulated them over at that time, three years. So it'd been like Quick. fast growth. Wow. And so I would just like throw little nuggets about real estate. And it was interesting to see, like you hear stories about how people will start businesses or brands thinking they were going to do one thing, but then the market pushes them elsewhere. Like I physically experienced it. Like I just wanted to be like, Hey, let's talk about personal finance in general. And the market drove me to like, please give us more about real estate. So just to interject and pause, but to emphasize your point, the video that I found myself, I think I rewatched it three times on your Instagram. It was a shot of your computer screen and it might be the calculator thing you're talking about. Although I didn't see the calculator for sale but it was just basically like two spreadsheets to figure out like the return on investment. And you're like, hey, quick way to understand, is this property gonna be a good property for you? And I think you used the example of your first property. Yes. Dude, like, I mean, not to be mean, but when it was like, hey, here's how you can get an 800 credit score. I listened for a little bit and I'm like, ah, yeah, I kind of get that. Oh, get rid of my bad debt first. Oh yeah, I get that. But then the nuts and bolts stuff on that video, I was like, ooh replay save all right let me maybe i don't buy the calculator but i figure out like the formula and i make my own spreadsheet and so that first time going through the instagram for me that was my eye candy that i was all in on was the specifics for the rentals i thought that was a great video and that is and that's good to know and i like you know i see my metrics like i get insights on what's doing well and what's not and it's interesting the first video I put of me ever doing that, where you're talking about where I've been taking this phone right here. So you, I've talked about I have this fancy camera set up now. You don't have to have that. I would take this iPhone right here and this computer. Actually, it was this computer right here. Not even the one I'm doing. This one right here. It's all busted. The screen's busted up. It was the only one I had at the time. The screen has cracks in it. And I would take my phone and I would do what you said. And I would, I would take a property that I had bought and I would walk people through how I analyzed that property, decided to buy it. And then I would show the returns. And so January of this year, 2022, 
I had 5,000 followers, which I thought was great. Like I'd been grinding for six months, seven months. Like I'd put in the work, 5,000 followers. I did that property analyzation video, hold my phone to my broken screen computer and it went viral. Oh no And so shit. I went from, yeah. And I don't know if that's the one you saw cause I've done gotcha. a bunch since then. But the first one I ever did took me from 5,000 to a week and a half. I had over 20,000. And then I had another property analyzation video. I think I was talking about Airbnbs. Take me from 25 to, I don't know what it was. I'm trying to remember. Maybe 30 or no, 25 to 40. It was something like that. And then I've had a couple of Twitter threads, which have been big for me lately. The ones you're talking about where it's like, hey, you know, we built millionaire millionaire status by 29. Here are the nine steps that led us to it. Uh, okay. You know, and that those have really taken off lately. But um, yeah, it was it was those simple. It's the simple posts. The, the nice ones that I put up, they get, you know, maybe five, 10,000 views where the the simple nuts and bolts where people can actually learn and gain value you know, they'll, I'll reach over two, three million people. It's crazy. Yeah. And we were kind of talking about it before we were recording. And I'd said one of the things I was looking forward to is like, would your market principles translate to me in Southern Delaware? And that's why I love the visual and then the walkthrough. Because what I can do is I can look at those numbers to be like, is whatever that one house was like 159. I'm like, is that even reasonable for me to own with land around here? And then what would my rental rate be compared to what my mortgage rate would be? You know, and like you really get to yep. compare those things, which you would think would lead to extra views. Because again, like for me, I had to watch it three times yep. as I'm thinking through it. And to me, I'm like, okay, if the metrics are about views, that's a great way to get views is to have that kind of quick but specific content that's easy to absorb you just want to watch a couple times. Yeah. And it's a it's a balancing act because you have to mix in, like, I never want to steer away from value. So my whole job on here is to give value. And so uh, most of the time, my most valuable posts don't get the reach. And so, like, the people, most people don't see my most valuable posts because Instagram doesn't push it, right? Because... I'm, I'm sitting down and strategically like those very clean videos that come out at 11 a.m. every day and 5 to 8 p.m. every day. Those are like valuable posts, but I know they're probably not going to go viral. But then there are posts that I post specifically to try and reach more people, but I don't just put crap posts together. I guess this balancing act of like, I want to add value in this post, but I also have to word it the way, like in a way where people are going to, like you said, share it with a friend because it is the algorithm. Like if I get a bunch of shares specifically, then it pushes my post. If people save it, then it pushes my post. If it gotcha. keeps getting repeat views, it pushes my post. And so it's this silly game of like put content out there that you don't care if that happens and then put content out there that you need this to happen if you want to continue growing your brand. But in the flip side, like it's got to add value to, you know? I'm curious when you say the valuable videos, what do you mean? Like, what would the difference be? Would that be like the 800 credit score video that I was talking about or? And see that 800 credit score video was actually the first ad I've ever done. Okay, maybe so, that's why I saw that one. That might've been the first one that I saw. I, no, well, I contacted I put, you with a con, anyway, I'm sorry, that's stupid. But yeah, I'm thinking like that has popped up a couple times onto my feed. And I wonder like if that gets to the head because of that ad part. 
that you're talking about? I don't about? think so because I didn't pay. I didn't spend anything for it. When I say add a brand, so the brand credit Sesame yeah. reached out to me and said, would you post this on our behalf? Okay. And so they paid me a pretty penny to post it, but that's the first time I've ever done that. Gotcha. I've never done a brand deal before. And like, you know, I did a lot of vetting before I posted them. I wanted to make sure they were a solid company, see what they believed in. Um, and I posted it that way. But no, I think when, when I'm talking about more value, you know, like there's just, there's a lot of tricks to this game. Like you want to start with like good hooks, you know, which sounds silly, but like when you're starting a video, you know, you want to, you want to start with something that captivates the audience really quickly. Like, you know, if you look at my Twitter threads, I posted, you know, like I, I mentioned, like we became millionaires by age 29, you know, here's the way we did it or whatever the case may be. But a lot of my valuable posts, I don't do that because I'm just like spitting value. And so because of that, it doesn't necessarily, and I, that's something I have to work on as a content creator yeah, is like tough. still mixing in those hooks and still mixing in those captivating, like first five seconds. So then people will stay and get the value. But a lot of times I'm just sitting there and like, I'm just talking, like I'm telling stories about things I've encountered of like, you know, in sales or in real estate or in business. And, um, you know, while it, the first five seconds may not be the most interesting, if you stay for the whole minute, minute and a half, you're going to walk away and be like, hey, that's a pretty good nugget. College professor. Like the college professor yep. who doesn't give a fuck about your entertainment. They are secure in their knowledge. And they're just like, if you actually pay attention, you're going to grow. You're going to grow. And that would be, I could see that being a little frustrating because you're like, is the, is the content not enough? <laughs> Like, what do I have? We're like rhinestones, fucking sequins. To Which I've been doing long enough, I get the game now. And there's times right. like, and I batch these these videos and it takes a long time. So there's times where I'm like, you know, when I'm sitting there batching, it takes me five to six hours. Like a lot of these, like I'm thinking of hooks to open it up with. Yeah. But there's sometimes, bro, within the mix of five to six hours, you're just like, I don't care to think about a hook. Yeah, I'm just going to start talking, you know? And it's, it's probably me doing a disservice to my followers because you understand like human attention span. Like if I want them to see this, I need to say something or do something or type something that is going to keep them here. And so it's probably, probably me doing a disservice, but people have to get over it. Cause there's plenty of other ones that I'm going to bring them in on. If you're just saying you watch the ones that I don't necessarily do that, you're still going to get value. Too. Yeah. It's a cool I get into podcast. I love discovering new podcasts for myself. Like I discovered Lex Friedman off of the Joe Rogan podcast. And then now I get to scroll down his past episodes and like just learn from him. Yep. And I really enjoy that. And one thing I'm excited about now that I know about you is like, I get to actually take some time when I have time to scroll through your posts and engage in them. And I, it seems like it's not so much like a disservice for current followers it would seem like it would be a disservice for your brand or like expanding the message because that's kind of your hook where I think yep. if people are following, they know you've got value. So they're going to be okay with a drier or a less, a less hooky intro. I would think anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a really good point. You have to nurture and there's people who do a way better job of this than me. I am so not detail oriented. I am like, <laughs> I love sales. I love connecting with people. I love pushing forward. Let's go, let's grow, let's go, let's grow. But like, I do a terrible job of like, 
let's really think out like how are we gonna do that you know what i'm saying <laughs> you're a and, cowboy uh, man you go by the seat of your pants I, <laughs> I do a terrible job with it but but you're right it's like you have to nurture that audience and i think i do it subliminally like like i'm nurturing the current audience i have even when i'm not being flashy and then i mix in the the flash when I need to get that bump of growth. And, you know, it's really been astounding lately. I looked at my, in, my insights today over the last seven days, I've um, reached over 2.7 million, million accounts. Jeez. And over the last 30 days, 4.7 million. So it's just been, it's been an absolutely wild month, which is cool because the more people I can reach, the more people I can help. If I'm, if I'm not reaching people, then people aren't getting help. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man, I got, this is where I suck as a podcast host because I start thinking of five different directions and then I start trying to play it out because I know if I ask one question, I'll never get back to like the other two or three. Um, so I was buying time to try to parse that in my head. Um, before I get to the value, can I go to the batching? Because you say yeah. you're kind of not so detail oriented. I'm curious, do you outline Hey, I've got these topics on the day that I'm going to go. Do you like have someone pick your wardrobe for you <laughs> to change shirts, to keep it fresh? I'm curious how you do that on the day. Cause I think that's a great hack. And that's why I'm curious is like, what a great time hack of one day for batching, one day for editing, 28 days you're off. And then you get to interact if you want to. So if you don't mind yeah. talking a little bit about your strategy. No, it's a great question. So most of the time, I sit down and I write 60 topics out most of the time. So I'm not outlining. I'm not doing like, I know folks who do like a teleprompter. Mm -hmm. Like I don't do any of that. So like I'll have 60 bullet points and I'll put, um, talking about how I bird this particular address, talk about why this age group needs term life insurance or whatever the case may be. But then on, I, I would be lying if I said I did that every month. There's some months where I sit in front of the camera and I just wing it. I sit there and the camera's on and the mic recording and the software's on. And I, I sit there and I think, I'm like, this is a good topic. And I go. And so I think, you know, people wouldn't notice because I think they're both valuable. Um, but I, I would say when you're starting, when I first started, I definitely wrote them out every time. Gotcha. And so I think, I think that's a good way to do it. I know my niche now. I know what people want to hear. I know what people need to hear. And I like, I mean, I've been selling and speaking to large audiences and small audience audiences for years and coming up with stuff on the spot. So I feel comfortable doing that. But if you don't, the best thing that you can possibly do is write it out, do it, and then be done with it. And uh, it's going to make your life a lot easier. Gotcha. Man, I, I, maybe it's the teacher in me. I'm trying to think of the 60, so that's just a cup of coffee in the morning for you. And then you just list them out and then you push record? I list them out before that. Okay. So like if I'm not winging it, I, the day before or two days before, I will sit down and I'll think like, how, what do I want to talk about this month? And I just know, like, you know, and I know what I've talked about previous months and I'll look at notes from previous months and I don't want anything to be repetitive. Right. Um, but a lot of times I'm hitting on the same subjects with different angles because mm. it's the same message. I have the same message. Like I'm trying to teach the average folk, the average person that they can invest in real estate, right? The person who has the job, the person who has the family, the person who has the kids, like you can still invest in real estate. So it's like, what do I need to talk about to make them feel comfortable about doing that? I like that, man. The So then the second thing that I started thinking about 
was I wonder if the growth in followers is like a market dependent thing where with inflation, with gas prices, people are like, fuck man, how do I get some passive income? How do I supplement? Can I take any assets I currently have and use them more efficiently? And I really wonder if that's like a, like you caught the wave, you know, the timing was right. Yeah. So I have Am a couple thoughts on this. I think, I think people are always interested in money. <laughs> I think, you True. know, yeah. I think they're always interested in money. I think people are always interested in millionaire status and which is like, I am grateful, but it's overrated. Like I'm well over a million dollars net worth and I feel broke all the time. So it's like, it depends on what that million looks like. <laughs> you know, mine's right. tied up in real estate. Um, you know, but I think, I think people always, how do I get financially free? How do I get out of the rat race? I think that no matter the market conditions, that's what people are interested in. But I think COVID, and I was a little late to this wave, to be honest. The folks who got into this in 2020 mm. are really scaling. But I think folks have more time to spend on social media. And yeah. I really think social media has been big, but I think it grew exponentially at the start of COVID. Yeah, I'm well not only social media, like you see what's happening in Netflix stock now versus, you know, Zoom stock yeah. now versus Peloton stock now versus, and it really, I mean, it's a, that that's for sure a thing where, what, exactly. what else were you And doing? they're going to go down, but I think they're going to level out because I think what we experienced in the mindset shift and where businesses have gone is here to stay. So like people aren't going, people aren't going back to the offices. There are people who are going to go back to the offices, but a lot of people are working from home now. A lot of a lot of people are making money online. Like a lot of people are creating businesses that are straight digital. Like I bought an insurance company, and like we're not selling in people's homes. Like our structure right now is all like meetings like this, hmm. and so I think. While, yes, I think I, I hopped in early enough on the wave of like the growth of social media during COVID. I think in my particular niche, you could come in at any time if you have a good brand. And I really think, number one, I think value is most important. Like you got to be able to know like what you're talking about. But if you can't build a brand around that, like you got to be able to sucker people in. And that sounds bad. I don't mean the word <laughs> sucker, but you know what I'm saying? Like you got to have something Ooh, it's like an what's interest. Your name? Yeah. Like what's a cowboy hat, you know, what's this and what's that, that get people to come to my page. Yeah. And then once they land there, it's like hit them with some knowledge that's going to be helpful. And so I think, I think it, yeah, it's probably a good time for more people on social media, but I think this niche will always be here. You have real estate and gold, right? Like gold's recession proof and kind of real estate recession proof. I'm curious. And if this is too personal of a question, um, feel free to deflect it or take it wherever you want. But when you talk about being a million, over a million in net worth, and uh, you had said you had 22 rental properties, mm -hmm. I started trying to just do math in my head of like, is it just the appraised value of the property? Is it the appraised value minus, minus the mortgage and any mm -hmm. sort of like debt that you somehow fix in of like, I always know 10% of whatever the house value is, is going to go towards repairs annually. So I'm just curious about how you get that net value with the properties. That net worth is the, like the market value of the property. So what it would appraise for now subtracted by any debts I owe. Okay. Okay. Now I own a lot of real estate. 
part of my real estate's with partners. So like if I own, if I own properties with a buddy, my net worth is only half of that appraised value minus half of the debt because right. half of it's mine, half of it's his. And then I have liquid assets. I have index funds. I have 401ks, which isn't really liquid, but it's a retirement with, account. With the right penalty, it's liquid. <laughs> yeah, with the right penalty. With the 10% penalty, it is. Um, but I have that, which has no debt on it. I have an insurance business that I own, you know, and, um, you know, finance cowboy, I don't put any value on that. I don't calculate that into my net worth right now. Gotcha. Uh, but that's how you do it. You take your assets, what they're worth right now, subtracted by what you owe. And so your net worth can fluctuate, you know, it's like right now I'm probably right at 2 million, but you know, if the market were to drop, if the housing market were to drop, then that's going to drop back down to 1.5, whatever. But I'm in a very strong position. The majority of houses I was buying and they're in South Carolina. And I'd say the average purchase price was somewhere between 65 and 75 grand. And now they're all between 150 and 225. And so, Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, dude, don't be sorry. I'm just thinking out loud and I'm like, I'm like, man, how much, how much work and money did you have to put into it to get it rental ready buying stuff at six? And is, does that count land? Like, are you getting homes that you own the land as well? Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah right? I don't so, own any home on just the only home that I own that would be on questionable land, but I own the land too is an Airbnb I have on Seabrook Island in Charleston. Okay. Because it has an HOA, gotcha. but I own the land too. It's just, you know, you're paying HOA fees. So, gotcha. but yeah, yeah. Everything's home and land. Um, yeah. What was the question? Sorry. No, no. Could, well, that's, <laughs> that's a great point too, because that's something that I think can be um, maybe overlooked when you look for a home, but if those HOA fees are exorbitant or if they're super restrictive, or like those communities can quick make some tenants want to get out if they're overbearing. Um, yep. But no, um, my question was when I hear the number 65, I'm like, do you got to drop like 20 grand into that thing? Does it even have a septic system? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> does it have a roof? Right. Like how much money do you typically, do you have a typical like amount of money that you got to put into your properties to then? Yeah. It's get normally around five to 10,000. And a lot of times it's lower than 10,000. So it's probably oh, wow. closer to the five grand. And so I'm in a great rental market. I mean, you look where you live in Delaware, I would imagine just based on that location that it's harder to find good rentals there. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you can find properties at that price. But like, you know, the properties that we're buying, I'm buying in at call it six, 70 grand, putting 10 grand in it, I'm in at 800. Those properties were renting for around a thousand when I bought them. So I had solid cash flow. Well, now all those rents have bumped up to a minimum of 1200 to 1500 And so I'm really not having to put that much money into them to get them ready to rock and roll. Like it's a little bit of paint on the walls, fixing, you know, drywall, getting appliances in there if there weren't already. Because when you buy, when you're fixing up a rental, like a lot of people make the mistake of like, I did it on my first property. So my, the or second property, I didn't do it on my first. The second property, I put like 25 grand in it. Pristine. Because I thought I was gonna flip it, and oh. it looked so. Yeah, I thought we were gonna flip it. Okay. It looked so, and we could have. We really could have. But look, amazing granite countertops. My oh. wife went in there like Joanna Gaines. We were knocking out walls, everything, <laughs> and then we got done. And I was like, you know what? Like, we don't really need the cash. If we have the cash, I don't have anything to ten thirty one into right now. Like, let's just keep it as a rental. 
in, in that particular scenario, like our cash on cash return right now sucks. Now, when I sell it, yeah, it'll be good. But you don't want to do that on every rental because the people in there are going to tear stuff up over time. Yeah. And so the, the key with the rental is like there's so many people looking to rent, at least in our area. No, yeah, so in ours, you're right about our market and 1200 and I'm closer to the beach. So okay. like East Coast, Southern Delaware um, and like, dude, a one bedroom workforce housing condo, 1895 a month. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, like wow. you can, if you've got a home with a little bit of land and a garage, you could easily get 1600 a month. Now the sales wow. price, you don't, it's really hard to find that. $130,000 value. So like that would almost be the floor for us, but really with new construction, what my market's dictating is like, maybe find something under 200. But what kills me, I don't wanna to get too far off the point, but what kills me is putting down the 20% and then also having the money to fix it up. Cause 200,000 doesn't even get you move in ready. It doesn't yeah. get your picture ready to get yeah. the higher end rent, to get the better tenant that wants to live there. Cause there is that- there is enough competition where the tenants who are good tenants do have options, if that makes sense. And, and if you can only get them at 1600 a month and you're buying them at 200 and you have to put money in, it's probably not going to make sense. Like right. for me, the baseline most of the time is the 1% rule. So if you're going to get 1600 in rent, you don't need to spend any more than 160 on the house. Which, okay. So that's a good metric. It's not the gospel and that's actually not even a good deal to be honest with you you know like a one percent deal like i've done a lot. i own a number of properties where i break even because okay. i'm a long-term investor so yeah. i i look at it and i'm like if i break even every month and have to spend let's say i had to spend 500 one month okay it's an investment into a property yeah. it's a 500 dollars investment into a property like could be worse you know but if you're you know, if you're only getting 1600 and you're, you're all in at 250, you're going to be losing money every month. And so you got to look and you got to say, okay, that's not a good deal. Most likely my area is not a great rental market. So, or is it a good rental market? And I have to find off off market properties. Hmm. So if you're finding, if you're just seeing those type of deals that are listed, you may have to dig in, do some cold calling, do some marketing, get some wholesalers on your side. Uh, to be able to bring in those off-market deals, or you may have to start investing out of state or out of town because not every area is good for a rental market. It just is what it is. LA, New York, Chicago, like just aren't good rental markets. You can flip and make a lot of money there. You can wholesale and make some money there, but every market isn't the same. So you got to look at where am I at? What's it good at? Can I utilize that? Okay. If I can't, where can I go to utilize it? And dude, in today's day and age, you can invest anywhere. You don't have to invest in, invest in your town. There's so many resources now to where you can invest. I'll invest anywhere. Yeah. No problem. So for someone like me, because I guess just to make it about me for a moment, and I wonder if people would be in this similar situation where I have one rental property, but I also screen all the tenants. I don't want to give up the 10%, at least in Delaware, it would be 10% to a real estate yep. agent to rent it out. I don't know if that's common. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I don't want to lose the 10% because I'm like, I'll do the work. For some reason, I'm a worker. Now, when stuff breaks, I want to be like, can I fix it before I call people? You yep. know, so I'm the cleaner, I'm the yard guy, I'm trimming the hedges, I'm power washing it. So I'm doing all the flip stuff on my own. And that's why I want it close enough to me because I'm not trying to go three hours to take care of something on a weekend, you know? Yep. Um, so that's the weird little conundrum of almost like what you're talking about with like followers and trying to get investing in the social media. It's like, when do you hit that point as a real estate person where, or as a renter where you're like, do I just start hiring out? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're finding good deals elsewhere, if you're realizing your place isn't a good place to find good deals and you got to find them elsewhere and you don't live there, you live four hours away, you live eight hours away, then you're going to have to hire it out. You know, you don't <laughs> even have to do the property management out. Like, you could still pro- like manage the property. There's a bunch of people I know who use like software and they screen tenants and tenants pay through the portal and they don't live anywhere near them. And then they just hire contractors you know, to do the work when they, when they need work done, or you can just hire a property manager who does everything. And I do that. I'm local to a lot of my properties and I pay 10% on every one of my properties. Everyone. Oh, really? And I live, I live five, 10 minutes away because I don't want to deal with it. I have a lot of other things going on. I have a full-time job. I invest in real estate. I got the insurance business. I got finance cowboy. I got the three kids coaching. I'm at church. You know, it's like, I don't want to deal with it. And so I'm okay with, I, they do not call me unless there's a repair over 500 bucks or a tenant leaves and they're letting me know, like, do you want us to get a new tenant or do you want to sell it? That's only two times I hear from them. And so that is a beautiful way to do it. You got to run that 10% in your pro forma when you're underwriting the property, but it works for me. But if you didn't want to do that, again, you could still manage it from a long way away and just build your team out of contractors, get a real estate agent there just in case, you know, things like that to be able to take care of the properties. Yeah, you're just buying your time back, which yep. is what smart people do. You're like, I, I, I want to say it might have been a guy called Naval, or maybe he goes by Naval. Um, he's like one of these like new age philosopher guys. And he's like, how much is your time worth? Yep. Start at that point. If it, how much does, how much would you pay yourself to do something? A hundred dollars an hour, great. Now, when you cut your grass, can you find someone to do it less than a hundred dollars an hour? If yep. so. Hire that person and go make your $100 that you say your time is worth. If you yep. cannot make your $100, then maybe you've overvalued yourself. Great and philosophy. you should be cutting your grass. It's a great philosophy. I'm telling you, man, it frees your time up. And it sucks for me because there's a lot of things. I'm like you, man. I want to do a lot of this stuff. But you have to learn. Like It just depends. Like What do you want in life? Like, if you're trying to keep scaling, then you have to do that. If you're okay with staying you know, where you're at. And there's nothing wrong with that either. I'm going to reach a point. I have no aspirations to be a, you know, a hundred decamillionaire, like, you know, doing all this. I have no aspirations. Dude, once you goal. get that first yacht, you're going to change your mind. No, <laughs> uh, I don't want, I don't care to have a, you know, I just, I'm like down home. I live in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm good. I don't want to change my lifestyle. And there will reach a time where it's like, I'm golden. You know, I'm good. Um, you know, but if, until you reach that, you got to put, things in place to allow you to get there. If not, you're going to bottleneck yourself. And if you have a bottleneck, you can't grow. And so you just have to, the thing for me is I set goals. Like, what am I trying to achieve? Where am I trying to get? And as long as I know it's still growth time to get there, I'll put whatever type of person I need to in place to get me there. And then once I get there, we'll stabilize. It's ambitious, man. I guess that's why you're a cowboy. You know, um, it, it's funny because I get overwhelmed thinking of the options and I tend to focus on the risk. Me, I don't, maybe I'm just pessimistic, but I tend to think of all the like, oh shit, the debt versus the potential of assets. Yep. To me, I brainwash myself to believe it is riskier not to invest in real estate with mortgages on them than it is to invest in real estate. Mm. I really believe that when you look 30 years down the road, zoom out, look 20 or 30 years down the road, you are living with more risk. If you're trying to reach financial freedom 
by not investing. And I used to be there. So I can honestly say that, like, I used to struggle with having the mortgages on there because my foundation of money was Dave Ramsey. Oh and yeah, dude. I love him. He's got like I the love- three to six month rule. Like that's yeah. some shit where it's like, first thing, pay off all your debt. Second thing, have, what is it? Like six, three months of income. Three to six months. Where you could live then six months. And then he's like, then you yeah. can start taking some risks. Yeah, dude. I super smart. Super simple. Pretty much everything he says, except for taking loans out on real estate. I follow, I don't have one dime of consumer debt. I don't have a car payment. I don't have student loans. I don't have anything. I have my mortgage and I have real estate debt. And that's where we differ. As he says, don't do real estate debt. If you gave him true serum, he would tell you if you're going to have debt, that's a good place to do it. Yeah, well, because it's the tax deductible. And this is something you had spoken and you had mentioned some number of a 1031 or something. And mm. we don't have to get like super into your taxes. But in my head, I just went and asked about an LLC because I have this one property and I thought it might enhance my credit. And they said, well, if you're going to be the sole person on the LLC, it does nothing for you. Cheaper for you to get umbrella insurance. He was like, get $2 million of liability, umbrella, all your assets under. If you're just going to have the one, you don't need the LLC because it does Probably nothing. Right. Yep. right. But the thing about debt that I'm like, I like with the mortgages is my fucking income goes down like six grand every year per house I own because yep. of the mortgage interest. And I'm yeah. curious, I, I don't know if you're LLC, I would assume you are. <laughs> um, yeah, I got a couple of them. Gotcha. Do you mind talking about like that growth for you going from like one to two? Cause I'm at that point, I really do wonder how many people it's like, do I want to go to take the higher mortgage rate to invest on this property and incur that debt versus be content? Yeah, I think you definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. But like, I, so how was your how though? Because to me, I'm like, oh, now I got to pay 200 for the LLC. And then what does that do for me? So the LLC really just like you stated, it's, and you don't have to do an LLC. The, the LLC is going to give you protection. So if somebody sues you and I'm not a attorney or a tax accountant, so I don't act to be like super well versed in this, but it's going to protect you. Essentially, your personal somebody asset. sue you liability right right so you were right with the with the umbrella i have a llc's and an umbrella policy you know okay. i think it's like i think it's one million my guy was trying to get me to go two million but i didn't pay it yet um <laughs> so it's going to do that so but what it's also going to do is it's going to shield you from your personal debt to income so oh does it yes yep, oh, yep, yep. Okay. so when i when my credit reports pulled and i want to buy a house for for jd those rental properties don't show because they're under a different entity. And so it allows you when you're under an LLC and you're getting commercial loans or portfolio loans is you're going to be able to scale essentially to infinity because as long as you can show the lender that this property is cash flow and it's a good property is going to appreciate over time, then they are going to keep lending to you in that LLC. If you own if you own properties under your personal name, a lot of them cap them out at like whatever ten properties, or when your debt to income is maxed out. Yeah, and so you really you really can skirt getting capped. So I think it's probably smart to buy under your personal name until you can't. Okay, you know, and because you're going to get better rates, a lot of times you're going to be able to get thirty year fixed loans, whereas commercial properties are going to be twenty year notes. Okay. Okay. So you're going to make payments on 20 years and a lot of times they're going to be a balloon payment. 
So a 20 year note, but in five years, that loan's going to be due or in 10 years, that loan's going to be due. And that's just the standard commercial note. And what you do is you just refinance out of it in year four. Uh, okay. Or you find somebody, this is getting into the weeds, but um, like I have lenders now that do a 20 year fixed commercial note, which I've moved almost all of my properties into because now I don't have to worry about a balloon. Mm-hmm. So I got locked in and call it a 4.8% interest and interest is normally a little higher on commercial notes. Actually, it's, they've been lower right now than personal notes oh. because the interest rates are ridiculous right now for homes. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's how, that's how I have scaled um, through LLCs with portfolio lenders. So that's interesting to max out personal. And now when I went to the attorney, I was kind of shocked. I'm like, so then how do, do I like sell this house to myself in the LLC? And he was like, no, nah, you just transfer it over. Yeah. You gotta be careful doing that. Oh yeah. Um, and your attorney should have told you that because when you take a home that is in a personal property and you transfer it to an LLC, the bank who owns that loan has what's called a due on sale clause. And they could look at that transfer as a sale from you to your LLC, because that's how it'll be recorded is like $1. Okay. They, at that point, could call that note and say, you owe us the entire note. As the LLC? As or as me, as Sean, because you should have sold it you just it sold it to something. the LLC. Now, Sean owes me this entire mortgage. Oh, wow. So you have to be careful just going and transferring a personal mortgage to an LLC. Um, you need to talk with your bank. Okay. Before you do anything. And if they won't allow you to do it, then you don't do it. And, you know, you can transfer it easily if you don't have a note on it, if you don't have a mortgage yeah. on it. You can do what's called a quick claim deed. But if you do, uh, if you deed it over and, and the bank calls your note, it could be a squirrely situation. Yeah, fuck. I, yeah, he, no, he did not bring that up um, at all. Yeah. So you just want to, and it's pretty much in everybody's calls now. Do people call it a lot? Probably not. But it's, you don't want to play with fire a lot of times where you get burned. So you want to make sure you know what you're doing. But, I mean, I don't like the thought of maxing out my personal debt-to-income ratio off of rental properties. Because what happens if you need your personal debt? Like, I don't love using personal debt for anything. Like I said, I don't have any debt outside of my home. But just in case, if it's all tied up in rental properties when it could have been under commercial notes, you know. You're kind of capped out. So it's just a balancing act. You know, it's a good way to get started. Best way to get started is house hacking. If anybody's watching this, you're not in real estate, especially if you're not married, even if you are married and you're young, is house hack. Buy a property, a house, or buy a duplex, or buy a triplex, or up to a quadplex is what you can go, and the bank still considers it residential. If it's a multifamily, duplex, triplex, quadplex, live in one unit, rent out the other unit. If it's a single-family home, live in one room, rent out your other rooms, and that's going to give you a good taste of owning real estate. And you're going to have other people paying for your mortgage. And then what you do is a year after that, like buy that in an FHA loan or a conventional loan, a year after that, refinance or two years, whatever, refinance it into a commercial loan. Okay. Turn that unit that you originally lived in into a rental property. So say it was a duplex. Now you rent both sides out. That's a rental property. And you go and you put 5% down on another home and do it again. That's the best way to build real estate. Oh, as a personal. So then would you go, you would take the 5% 
after you refinance it commercial and then and get yourself again. another personal loan. Because you can get you can do a five percent down again. You could do an FHA loan. And right? You could do three and a half percent down or five percent down conventional, stay in there for a year because you've got to live there for a year, refinance out to a commercial, do it again, do it again, do it again. And bro, like if you bought a quadplex and you did that twice, you look back and now you have eight doors. Yeah. Two quadplexes. And then you go and buy your house where you and your wife and your family live in. And now you got eight doors. How come you're able to do that but not get the note called? Because you do the refinance to a commercial loan? Because you're refinancing. Okay. You can refinance into an gotcha. LLC. But okay. you can't just transfer the ownership gotcha. from your personal name to an LLC. So you're going to pay the refinance fees. Yeah. Whereas transferring, you would just transfer. There's not, I mean, there's a quick claim deed. It's not, it's minimal. But then you get your note called. But if you do the refinance, you're not. Am I just such a fucking Scrooge that there's refinance fees of whatever? Like, I think it's typically like $8,000. Like, they just eat me up. Like, do I just need to let that go? Is that part of what's stopping my ambition? And you got to look at the returns. And on commercial notes, fees are way lower. Oh, really? Way, 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 way lower. So, um, yeah, you won't pay near as much when you're doing commercial notes compared to personal lines. Fuck, man. I love talking to smart people like you. I love talking to risk takers like you. I love talking to entrepreneurs like you. And I try to use my like my personal situations just so other people can connect and maybe be like, oh, hey, I'm in something similar because there's a huge gap <laughs> between where you're at and where I'm at. But it seems like, like in my head, I'm already thinking like, fuck, man, I've been in this house two years. It's an upstairs I got two bedrooms and a bath upstairs, two bedrooms and a bath down here. Like, should I flip it and then go try to find myself a little duplex somewhere? Should I just go try to find a better home, even though the rates are a little higher now, but this rate's kind of locked in at a low rate? Um, you can do all kinds of stuff, dude. That's the beauty of I mean, you could, you could even refinance that into a commercial note, have a higher interest rate, say you're going to pay 5.75, and then go buy you one for a personal home. Turn that into where you got people living upstairs and downstairs. So you got two renters and then go buy you a personal home with 5% down. Yeah, your interest rate's not great, but you only had to put 5% down and then refinance out if interest rate drops again. But dude, 6% interest rates aren't bad. People are acting like interest rates are high. Well, no, where we were at is interest rates were like once in a generation. Dude, I got in on this house. Yo, my interest on this house is 2.35%. Yeah, it's like I... If we ever see this again in our lifetime, I will be astonished. <laughs> like, it's just not, it's healthier for the economy. Like, when I started buying real estate in 2018, I was 5.75 on commercial notes. So, like, these rates right now don't scare me. Gotcha. It's like, oh, the only thing that sucks about these rates right now is prices have gone up. And so now it's hard to get rents to match prices to make, no, but rents have gone up. Yeah. So it's like, it's all a numbers game, man. Like my buddy taught me this. My mentors taught me this early on. It's like, don't get caught up in the interest rate. Like just look at the overall numbers. Type, that's why I use that calculator. It's like yeah. type my numbers into the calculator. What is the cash flow showing? What is cash on cash return show? What's the cap rate showing? Does it make sense? Is there future appreciation to be had over 10, 20, 30 years? Roll with it, you know? I like the appreciation aspect too, because for some reason, I think it's pretty, pretty rare um, for home values to just, for you to lose money. Like the stock, the swing trading I was telling you about that I do, like tech stocks fucking lose value like crazy. And you're like, what, yep. what happened? Cause you don't have anything. It's like Bitcoin. 
I don't fucking have anything other exactly. than this novelty, right? That's Warren Buffett's thing. What do they produce? If there's not a market for it, it's gone. But land is land. A home is a home. And like, yep. it's just an asset. Yeah. My father-in-law, he's 75 years old. He said, I've never seen anything like 08, but once in my lifetime. Right. Like there's setbacks and stuff, but like we live through 08. So like people are scarred by it, but it's like, that's not normal. So you have to play statistics. Like, you know, what what's that book? It's like something with bets, like making your move in bets. Like, what do the stats say? The stats say I'm that's not going to happen again. Or if it does, yeah. it's going to be a really long time. Well, oh, it was really weird too because it was so competitive and so many people were getting these shitty loans that oh, yeah. it inflated the market. But I think if you so that's part of why I like buying around where I live because I've got this 20, 30 year history of knowing value and I read the paper. So I understand where the development is coming. And for some reason that gives me comfort into choosing, Ooh, good value because people want the land. Oh, wooded lot. Oh, it's next to a Creek. Oh, no HOA. Oh, this farmland's protected. So it's going to have this open view. And that's part of why I get hesitant to like reach out and expand outside of my like normal driving area. Bro, you're good. Go in the Southeast. Like, People are moving here in droves. Like, you don't have to stay put. There's so many different places where where people are just moving to. You know, if anybody's listening to this, like yeah. listening to this and you're in the Northeast or, you know, you know the, the West Coast, um, you know, you look in South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, which Florida's always been a hot market. But <laughs> people are moving here in droves. We are so far, we're five to seven years behind on supply. Oh, and wow. so you talked about, oh, wait, we, nobody's taking those bad loans like they were then. So we don't have these bad loans. We don't have these subprime mortgages. Yeah. And the supply is so low. So, yeah, while interest rates are going up and it's going to, like, you're not going to get fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 over asking in a day on homes as much, home values aren't dropping. Like, they're not dropping. They're, they're just not. It's basic economic supply and demand. And there's some areas they will. Like, you know, people are leaving, you know, like some places, like, are they leaving New York City? Are they leaving LA? You know, some of these larger places, but like, you know, the, just you run your numbers on where people are moving and you're going to be golden. Yeah. The last two years, I've taken three vacations to Nashville, Denver, and Charleston. Yep. All three times, anytime you catch an Airbnb, What's the first fucking thing all three of those people said? I can't believe home prices around here. Everybody's yep. moving here. And yep. you're like, it, it's in three geographic, like, I guess Tennessee and South Carolina are kind of close. But like, it's... Yeah, we're close. Yeah, but it's like, that's kind of common that the like people are looking. I, I don't know why they're leaving condensed cities. I don't know if it's just a COVID thing or if it's just people want... I don't know, like the internet makes it look appealing and people want to go there, but well, it I seems that's part of it. I think it is. It's a great place to live. I mean, I love Delaware. I got some buddies from Delaware. It's great. But like you look at the Southeast and it's like, There's I think space. it started with COVID. It started with COVID. Like everybody was shut down. Like we weren't shut down, bro. Like, right. are you kidding me? Like restaurants didn't shut down here. You know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I, if you asked me, I would tell you what I thought, but it's like, it's like we live. I think it's almost I proven wear, that it's wrong, but guys. I didn't wear a mask. I went to restaurants. My kids went to school. And so people saw this. Most people are normal. No matter what Fox, CNN, MSNBC say, like, I don't care if you live in LA. I don't care if you live in New York. I don't care if you're most liberal, most right wing. It's like most people are normal and they want to live. 
Yeah. And so if you don't have health issues and you're just a normal person, you want to live like this was a good place to live. Florida DeSantis did a great job of like, hey, we're freaking open. South Carolina, hey, we're open. Like North Carolina, we're open. And so people wanted to come here to start. Well, then a lot of people are visiting here. Right. So it's like, oh, well, let's get away from L.A. Let's get away from New York. Let's get away from Northeast because we can at least go down here and vacation. Yeah. And like live. And so they came down here and like, this is freaking awesome. Like the food's great. The people have this cool Southern draw. The people are super nice. You got the beaches, you got the mountains, you got Atlanta, Charlotte, Nashville, Charleston. And so now it's just this influx of just so many folks. And to give you an example in Charleston County, you got like Isle of Palms, then you got Sullivan's Island. These are the beaches. Oh, dude. Yeah. I, I took a wrong turn on an island and paid like $45 for a rack of ribs because it was some country you? club. <laughs> You're probably on Sullivan's. And I was like, what happened? But beautiful beach. Beautiful. I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off. But yeah, that was no, hilarious. I think it was Sullivan's Island. <laughs> yeah, it's probably with Sullivan's because that's like the highest end. But you go I, starting north, you go IOP, Sullivan's, Folly, Kiowa, and Seabrook. Kiwa and Seabrook are on the same peninsula. Okay, so Kiwa, a lot of people have heard of it because it's the P. That's where they do the PGA golf tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a roundabout. Left takes you to Kiwa. Right takes you to Seabrook. I bought my first Airbnb on Seabrook in 2019. Million dollar homes on the island. There's one street of these like crappy little octagon shaped tree houses. I was like, dude, I'm buying on the worst street in the best neighborhood. So I bought a $185,000 Airbnb on this million-dollar gated HOA amenity, just freaking going nuts community. And then two years later, the, I bought the house across the street, same style house for two eighty-five. dollars And people ribbed me like, dude, you're buying at the top of the market. You're spending too much money. What are you doing? Well, I bought that house. So I bought the first one in 19, second one in 21. It's 2020 in April of 2021. It's 2022. I just sold that second one I bought for 285. I closed last month for 460. Mm. Still have the original one that I bought for 185. I could sell it for 425 right now. And so just showing you like how much that stuff is appreciating is ridiculous. And I don't see that slowing down in a lot of different markets anytime soon. I like what you said by the worst in the best neighborhood. Yep. Cause I think, I mean, that's, uh, that just makes sense. Cause it's going to get drug up cause your ceilings right there. Yeah. And one of the best hacks in real estate is forced appreciation. You got so many, you got appreciation, forced appreciation, cash flow, tax benefits, tenant buy down. Those are like kind of your five big pillars. Forced appreciation is you buy the worst house in the best neighborhood. You go in, you paint the exterior, make the grass look good, bring a landscaper in to make the front flower bed look good, go in, gut it, make it look clean. And now it's, caught up with the rest of the neighborhood and the amount of money it took for you to put in compared to the value that it created leaves you a bunch of equity. And so forced appreciation leaves you a lot of power. Man, I, this might be a real stupid question. When you sell those homes, how, what do you do for taxes? Do you have to cut like half to the government? <clears throat> do you get to as like an LLC flip it or reinvest it into another business? Do you mind? Are, are you able to talk about that? Or is that yeah. kind of a jerk question of mine? No, there's two ways, really. You're going to do a 1031 exchange, which is you're going to defer all your taxes. So you're going to take your profit and you're going to invest it into another like kind property. Okay. Uh, so that's number one. And there's a lot of regulations behind it. It's not say a lot. It's not hard to do. People do it 
that's like one of the main strategies for real estate investors. 1031 exchange. And is that how you get your 20% down for the next one? You take that profit? Yeah, you just take you that profit it. and you roll it in. So the, the, the new house has to be at least what the old house was worth. As far as and sale then, price or appreciation mm -hmm. or appraisal? Yeah. yeah, sale price. Okay. So so you sell it for two fifty, the next house has to be two fifty. Gotcha. And so then you take your profits, you roll it into the next house, and you pay no taxes. IRS loves real estate investors. You defer your taxes. Okay. Or if you want to pull that money out, I just sold that property on Seabrook Island I told you about. I'm keeping the cash. I need it for this insurance business. If you've owned an investment property for one year or longer, you are capped at long-term capital gains. 10%? 20 is the 20%, cap. 20%, gotcha. But it's not just a definite 20, it's based on your income. I have a high income, so okay. I got hit at the highest. But if you don't have a high income, you'd be 10%, 15%. Gotcha, gotcha. But you're capped at 20. Whereas if you flip it, and you flip it before you've had it for a year, you're gonna pay short-term capital gains, which is 30. based on your income. So if you have a high income and you're paying 37% taxes, yeah. you're going to pay 37% on that property. So if you hold properties for a year and then sell them, I mean, you can even flip, just hold it for a year, yeah. and you could potentially cut your taxes down by 15% if you're going to hold on to the cash. Same thing for stocks. That's what fucked me up on this day trade and swing trade. I won't get into that too much just because it makes me feel terrible and I drink more. But <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's a weird little rule. And I, I've picked up – that's why I like that nugget of – the personal, the refinance and just fucking dealing with a corporate, all right, whatever, I'm gonna pay 5,000 in closing, but it's gone. And then I can try to get another personal mortgage, hopefully at a lower rate or if not the same rate, cause I shouldn't care about rates and hold it for a year and then just see what that appreciation does. Yeah, or, re, or a home equity line. Then you don't have to worry about, you know, like necessarily, interest rates unless it's being used because the home equity line just sits there so you can do a cash out refinance like you're saying then you don't pay taxes that's the beautiful thing about cash out refinances yeah you pay the closing cost but they're going to be way lower than taxes and you don't get taxed on the money you cash out so like if i have a hundred thousand dollar equity in a property and i do a cash out refinance the bank is going to loan me call it 80 percent of the new appraised value and if that's a hundred thousand dollar equity they're going to loan me they're going to give me $80,000 back in cash. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm going to have a new loan on the property that's higher, but now I have $80,000 in cash. And guess what? The IRS doesn't consider that taxable income. So yeah, I paid $5,000 in closing costs, but now I have $80,000 that wasn't taxed and that's way lower than the taxes. Got you. Because I mean, call it, if I would have paid 20% on that, it would have been 16 grand. But then on that 80000 you have a monthly payment of... Mm -mm. No, you have a monthly payment on the new mortgage. Because, yeah, so then maybe right, I wasn't so me, smart enough to go with you. Try, so if, let me try to break this down. So if you, let's should, say, let's say you had a home that you had. Round numbers. Round numbers will help me. $30,000 note on. Okay. okay. Now it's worth 100 Okay. It appraises for 100 That means the bank will loan you 80% of that of 100 now. Okay. Okay. So they'll loan you 80000 They're going to take that 80000 that they'll loan you. Subtract that from what you owe, which is thirty thousand. They're gonna pay that off the original note. Okay. Eighty thousand minus thirty thousand leaves fifty thousand. Guess who gets that fifty thousand? Me. In a check. Now the new loan has eighty thousand on. Okay. Okay, because we got eighty percent of the hundred thousand. Now we got an eighty thousand dollar loan, but now I have fifty thousand dollars cash. 
tenants still paying off that $80,000 loan. I have $50,000. Now I can go buy another one, two, three properties. So you've got, okay. So then that makes sense. So then what you've got to do is figure out if that balance. So like in someone like my situation where I have to make sure that cash flow can cover that new loan. Yeah. I have a mortgage and I know right now my mortgage is at 1200, my tenants paying 15. So I've got a $300 buffer. I do have over a hundred grand of equity in it. So if I were to try to grab whatever, 60 grand of that, but now my monthly payment is up to 1450 on break even on the home. However, though, I got to think now I got all this cash equity allows me to get maybe a second home or upgrade, maybe exactly. just buy a couple of jet skis, develop a nice little no, drug, don't do that. Dr- don't buy, buy a nice little drug habit no, weekend no, no, in no, Vegas, no. <laughs> triple it. No, I shouldn't yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, <laughs> please don't, you're hurting me. You're hurting me. But yeah, like I'm fine with refinancing and it's like, if I'm breaking even, great. Now I got 60 grand. Mm to go buy two more houses. And it's like, now I have three houses. And you wait five years, tenants are buying down debt, forced depreciation, market appreciation, tax benefits, cash flow. we do it all again. And you really don't worry about just that total amount of debt being up there. Like for me- As long as I have equity. Like if I feel like I feel comfortable with what my homes are worth, compared to how much debt I have on them, compared to how much cash flow I have coming in, compared to how much reserves I have, compared to income I have coming off of businesses and other assets. So it's all a big, you don't want to over leverage. I'm not out here, you know, pushing for anybody to do that. Yeah, no, so like for me, it would be stupid if I refi at the 240 mark, but I, in my heart, I'm like, this home is really only worth two. Cause now I've got a 240 note on a 200 home. You're not going to get that back, even though I got some cash out of it. The asset isn't worth what I've put myself in debt for. But if the bank it says it's worth that, it's worth that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But the market like, might not. Think, well, I guess I'm looking at the market. Yeah, if you think that the bank's just being ridiculous, and you're like, okay, I don't actually think this is worth that, then you don't have to take that full amount. Like if they oh. if they were to say it was 240. You don't have to take the eighty percent. You could be like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I only want to take two hundred and five or two ten. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? So you're not mandated to take that seventy five, eighty percent. You can take what's comfortable for you to pull out cash. God, dude, that's the way you just explained the cash out refinance. And I've been googling and reading about this shit for like six months off and on. Um, you just made it so simple. You're like the dude who wants to take the tax code and put it on an index card. Remember those guys who run for president, the like five, five, five guy or whatever. Like you just kind of did that with that one principle and um, made it very easy to understand. Yeah. And you can do that. You know, I'm not going to get into this because I'm not a pro at this. I don't do it a lot. A lot of people do a home equity line too. So instead of doing a cash out refi, they'll do a home equity line because then your notes the same. Yeah. Home equity line doesn't count until you use it and they'll use it. A lot of people will use it like as a short-term loan, you know, or they will use it as a down payment for another property as long as the cash flow will cover it. Yeah. Um, I get real like, and you know, I got buddies on Instagram who are content creators who get mad at me for doing this, but like I'm real iffy about using home equity lines for down payments on rentals. Um, I really, cause it's just like you're leveraging to leverage. That's when you start like, 
you know, I'm leveraging the home equity on this one home to put a down payment so I can leverage on another home. So when we start getting the double leverages, you gotta be real careful. Now, if you got a high cash flow property, then you can feel comfortable doing it. But if not, I think the best way to best way to use a home equity is like for a quick turnaround. When I say quick in real estate, that's three to you know eight months. You know, either flip it, you're using that home equity line to buy a house in cash and then to flip it, or to burr it, buy rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So you're gonna buy a rental in cash, rehab it, get a renter in there, cash out, refinance it, like we just talked about pay off that home equity line so it's back to zero and then you can repeat that process and so that's how i really like to use a home equity line i'm just pausing so that um i wouldn't if people were listening they would have time to write that down like i was just trying to <laughs> no you're good you are good dude how did you become this person were you the kid who sold like cigarettes and candy in like elementary school, <laughs> were you always this <laughs> no, weird little man. brainiac hustler? No, so I had no real business. My dad was is a pastor. My, I live less than half a mile from the church, so I came from no money. Like he doesn't like there was no investment talk. I got no no money just handed to me. None of that. He's still a pastor. Like he you know has a small little nest egg, but nobody's crushing it. Um, and my big thing throughout life and through college was baseball and so my number one goal was to play college baseball mm. like that was it division one i want to play division one ball and for so clemson did you have a school I, that no, you wanted to go to clemson. i would love to play at clemson so i played at a mid-major so it's, there's a school called charleston southern so it was division one so it was a school like in our conference the big south conference at the time it was coastal carolina liberty uh, radford like and then we play schools like usc upstate walford things like that and, uh, but it really instilled a discipline in me, like of like, I realized what it took to get what you want. Like you had to put in time, like in high school, I was like, I wasn't a guy going out doing business deals, but I was a guy, I was up at five working out with a personal trainer and my buddies before high before school in the morning. And then I was going and hitting baseball in the cages after school until eight, you know? And so I just really learned to put in the work and it translated into the working world, my first job out of college was at Centos, the uniform company. And it sucked. Like it sucked so bad. Like I was up at four, I was driving a big box truck. I was delivering clean uniforms and clean floor mats. And like those urinal cakes that guys piss on in the urinals, like changing those out. And like, I get off my route at like 6 PM and I was gassed, like so bad. But like, I like just put in the work that I did in baseball and I was like, whoa, did I get paid to do this? And like within six months, I was second in the entire Southeast in route sales. And like they had made me a trainer. And so it just like hit me. Like I was really young. I was 22, like very cocky at the time, like very like, oh, but it just like it hit me in my mind. Like, bro, if I just work harder, like I've been doing in baseball, like I'll dominate everybody mm. like in this working world because everybody's comfortable. Everybody is so comfortable. Nobody's putting in the extra work. And so, like, I just decided then, like, like what I wanted with my life. I was like, I don't want to make, you know, okay money and, like, show up to work every day till I'm 65. It's like, no, like, I have, like, a skill set. I enjoy talking to people. I can, you know, scale sales. And, like, how do I do that? How do I increase my income? Because I knew, like, you can grow wealth with a minimal income. It just takes time. Like, I don't care what anybody says. To grow wealth faster, you have to find income from elsewhere. Yeah. To do it fast. 
And so, you know, anyways, I just applied all those principles and I just started learning, dude. Started with Dave Ramsey right when me and my wife got married in 2014. It was like, we're learning how to manage our money. So then we started budgeting and then it was just like growing from there. Rich dad, poor dad, the millionaire next door, richest man in Babylon, listening to bigger pockets, talking with my buddy who was in real estate. And like, I finally decided, like I was scaling my income, which I decided. And then I was like getting my finances in order. And so now I was like, okay, where am I going to park my wealth? And so, you know, I just did the, did the work, you know, I just learned, I don't know how else to put it. Like, there's no, like, you know, I get hammered dude all the time on my posts, especially the ones that go viral. I'm a parasite. I'm a leech mother effer. You're a B word. Like every name you could think of your, you, um, your privilege, you had things handed to you on a silver platter. And I'm like, bro, nobody paid for my college came out with over 60,000 in student loans, took care of those was making 45 grand in my first job. Nobody handed me some high paying job, 45 grand. I decided, hey, what can I scale? Sells. If you can sell, you can make money. And then I mastered that skill and then got into industries that pay the most for those skills. Now I'm in medical device and get paid really good. Like nobody just said, like inserted a chip into my ear and said, oh, this is exactly how you make money in real estate. Like, no, I had to freaking figure it out. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so it's like, listen to people like myself, listen to Bigger Pockets podcasts, listen to all different types of podcasts, read books and go, go do it for yourself uh, because nobody else is going to do it for you. And so there's two mentalities you can have. You can be an overcomer, you can be a victim, you know, and I understand I'm not naive to everybody's dealt a different hand in life. So yeah, while I was not handed any money, I wasn't taught about money. I wasn't taught about investing. I had two parents in the home. I had two loving parents in the home. I was raised in a Christian home. I'm very conservative. Everybody doesn't have that. Some people are foster kids. Some people are adopted. Some people are, you know, in, in poor homes and I get that. And they have a, they have a, um, they're behind the eight ball more than, than I was, but there is opportunity for everybody. And so it just depends. Are you going to go get it or are you not? That was a lot. All, all I want to know is how come you didn't get drafted? I wasn't good enough. <laughs> I wasn't good enough. You know, I tell my, I told my wife about this and it actually, it's interesting. I'm glad you asked this question. I am really glad you asked this question. Cause I don't talk about it a lot. Cause it's the one thing in life where I don't want to say it's regret, but it like, it gets me when I met part of it was college in general because it was just fun and college is a blast. And so you just don't take things as serious, yeah. but also like when I also, I met my wife. And so I did not put the time. I wasn't naturally as talented as some, I would have never made it to the big leagues. So let me make that clear. <laughs> never <laughs> make it to the majors, but I was the guy who had to put in the work early in the morning, had to put the work in early at night. And I got complacent. Mm. I was starting, started halfway through my freshman year, all the way through senior year was getting to play, was living a good life, had a good looking girl, like living the dream. And I got complacent and I didn't reach my full potential. And I wake up every day with the feeling of, are you going to be complacent like you were in college and not reach that next goal mm. of professional baseball? Or are you going to learn from that and get after it? And so that's actually a big motivating, motivating factor for me. I love the transferable skill. Because, uh, so I coach middle school basketball and um, actually I have my doctorate. And what I studied was the effect of sports at at risk on at risk youth. Um, I can't remember like how I worded it. <laughs> it's been so long ago. But basically like do sports help people's grades, kids who are at risk, their grades, their attendance and their discipline. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. What I found was there wasn't, at least with the data set that I got into. But the hope of every coach, why do we want kids in sports? Teamwork, make it transferable. Work hard, make it transferable. You don't get to just naturally show up. Hopefully you're not, because we all hate that guy that can just show up and be great. We, yeah. Right? You like normally that doesn't happen. So you have to work and you have to suffer and you have to deal with defeat and you have to keep going. And we hope as teachers and parents, that's transferable. And yeah. it's awesome that you made that transferable, man. Like that's the ideal sports movie right there without like the drafting. <laughs> but yeah. being a success like, from I, it is awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, you're spot on. And I think baseball too. Like I know you're a basketball guy. I'm, I'm a big basketball guy. I played high, some high school basketball, obviously church league basketball. Like I play pickup still. I freaking love basketball. It's my favorite sport. But with baseball, and you can say this with basketball, like shooting threes or whatever. Yeah. Percentages low. But with baseball, like if you get a hit three out of ten times, you're really good. Yeah. So that means you're failing seven out of ten times. And so one of the biggest transferable skills for me is I learned how to fail. Because you play a lot of games in baseball. I mean, in college, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Five oh, wow. games every week. And so it's like there's a lot of games you're going over four, one for four, you know. And <clears throat> you have to learn to deal with that because you got a game the next day. And so, one, of the, you know, I think that's a huge, you know, you're just talking about transferable skill. I, I credit that to a lot of my success. Yeah, it sounds there was something I forget if it was John Wooden. Um, it was definitely some other coach that I'd gotten about the next play mentality. And people who can't move on past the failure are just basically doomed to repeat that failure. And you're useless yeah. as a player. Like I, 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 if you dwell, I can't, I can't continue to put you out there because the other guy who's waiting to get the opportunity or the other person um, deserves it <laughs> because yeah, that's a great point. you're just in your failure. And I like that from this like business model aspect of like, it's okay if you fail, but don't dwell on the failure, figure out how to use the failure. Yep. And in business, it seems, and I'm not super entrepreneur like you, but like, it seems like even if you take a loss, but you learn that education has some intrinsic value that's not on a spreadsheet somewhere, but is going to help you on maybe your next venture. No doubt. No doubt. Um, can you tell me just cause I brought up failure. Can you make me feel less good about you and talk about something you were bad at? Was there some weird business venture? <sighs> that you got into or have you just been hitting like, are there any weird singles? No, single is still a positive thing. What's in, what could the baseball metaphor be for a bad business decision? Like you were back on you your know, heels swinging for the fences and then all of a sudden you struck out bases loaded. Knock on wood business wise. I haven't had a ton of them. Now I will tell you, I've been investing for four years. So I started in 2018 is when I bought my first property. So I haven't been around long enough to have like, I guess you have, you could like have bad experiences with them. I haven't had like the worst experience ever. Um, <laughs> I had a decently bad experience. I started a pressure washing business in 2015 when I lived in Jacksonville, Florida. And um, it pretty much bombed. Like I spent like $4,000 on the equipment, like had never pressure washed before. Uh, was just taking any customer on and a lot of them were terrible customers who you couldn't please i wasn't charging enough and then i hired my you know another brother-in-law on a different one and you know he wasn't kind of working up to the standard i wasn't holding him accountable we weren't making money i lost a bunch of money on that hmm. so that could be 
I say a bunch of money, like relative today, it's, it was fine. But like yeah. for at the time, I was like, oh, I didn't this that did not profit on this. Um, so that was that was a pretty big failure for me. Um, but again, I learned from it. Like it taught me so much about like, especially managing other people and working with other people and setting expectations. It was it was a big learning curve. Dude, that's immediately what I thought about because earlier you had said about. Um with assets and just, if I have a partner, I have half of the asset. And I'm like, that's so fucking scary for me to be like, <laughs> who do I invest with? Who do I trust enough to go in on something with? Like that they'll split costs when they are there, you know, yep. and just like the decision-making process. Do you mind talking or sharing a little bit of your insights with that? Cause I felt like that was a great segue. Yeah, the only two partnerships I have are with two of my best friends that I've known since I was seven years old. So that gives you any inclination to how I've done it. And it was two guys who I trust with my life. If I was gone from this earth, I would ask them to help my wife out, you know, like, hey, make sure her finances are in check. And so that's what I've done. You know, I don't think that's, you know, the only way you have to do it. Um, but I think if you're going to do it, what we've done, both of my partners, we've got legal documents drawn up. Even though we're best buds, we were all at Top Golf not long ago for my birthday. All God, shout out Top! I don't want to get yeah. into Top Golf, dude. I will fucking drive two and a half hours every vacation destination. I was pissed at Charleston. I'm like, where's the fucking Top Golf? Nashville yeah. had me. Colorado, Denver had me. Charleston, you failed me. Love yeah. me some Top Golf, dude. Dude, it's so much fun. It's amazing. It's time. so much fun, and we're bro like we're bros like we're they're my best buds i talk to them all the time but like we had a we had an attorney draw up documents saying spilling out everything spilling out everything and that way you know if something happened then legally we both agreed to it and we just talk as buddies going into it saying look if i bring a deal I'm like hey just as my best friend you know i can't guarantee this deal is going to do good now i know i'm going in I want to hear them say, I'm going in under my own will. And my buddies have asked me the same thing when they brought me deals. I'm like, hey, I understand. You can't guarantee anything. I've ran my own numbers on this as well. I feel good about it, and I'll go in with you. Um, but then I've heard horror stories. You know, I got a buddy right now who brought a brother-in-law into a business um, because it was the easy thing to do at the time. It allowed them some leverage they needed to get started, but long-term, he knew it wouldn't work out. Hmm. But he thought he could potentially fix it over time and it's just led to a mess and now he's having to handle it two years down the road can i and pause so, you not to talk yeah, smack no, on them good. but i get very interested in the specifics of leverage is it a cash influx thing is it a credit thing is it an access to opportunity or product thing or, or should i not they were raising they were raising monies for money for a real estate fund and i invest in the fund the fund's great the fund did a fantastic job but because of his brother-in-law's position and society and just different the things that were going on, it was beneficial to have him to like shield him from other entities being frustrated at him and to bring in more money to the fund. Uh, Knowing that the long-term outlook probably wasn't going to be very good, hoping that it would, but knowing that it wouldn't and it didn't. And so now he's having to have a conversation a tough conversation because the brother-in-law is not pulling his weight. And so, you know, that's just a family example where that can happen yeah. with anybody. What happens a lot of time in partnerships, whether it be real estate, managing funds, 
buying businesses is somebody doesn't pull their weight. And so I think the best way with real estate, with real estate buying rentals, it's pretty self like straightforward. If you get an attorney to draw it up, like you both have to put 50% down on the down payment. You both have to split the repairs and you're both splitting the profits. Like it's pretty straightforward. But when you get into businesses that involve like personal activity, personal like input, that's yeah. where it's not as measurable. Yeah. Uh, depending on the, the scenario. And so you can just get real funky. So I think the best way to go about it as a business is somebody's a founder, right? And most of the time that person's a visionary. And in any business, you need a visionary, you need an integrator. So if you're an integrator and you're founding the business, you run the business, but give a percentage of the company to the visionary. Vice versa. If you're a visionary and you're founding the business, it's your business, but you give equity to the integrators so they have ownership and they can go build it as well. And I think that helps you stay away from issues. I, When you said split the repairs, why did I immediately think of like, no, my boy could do this for 50 bucks. You always want to hire that expensive ass plumber for 250. Like, does that... Is that just me being stupid and fearful, like making up my own? Phobia? You spell all that out. Spell it all out on the front end. We will, we will use licensed professional contractors. Uh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Now we all use property managers. I'm telling you, property managers make life so much easier. But if you're gonna do that, or you say we will get a minimum of three quotes on every job and deliberate over it, and there's gonna be times where you may not agree. You know, now me and my partners agree. Part of the reason we agree so much is they're both very more detailed than me and they're smart. <laughs> and so I just look at it and they're like, Hey, do you want to, you know, 2000 to repair this? I don't even read what's going on. I'm like, yeah, let's repair it. You know, like, I'm just like, there's so much more money to be made. I just don't get caught up on the little details because it's like, yeah, I'm making a bunch of money in the grand scheme of things, which is probably wrong, you know? And that's why I have to bring people into my life who are more detailed. Yeah. Uh, but I trust these guys. I know they are. And so if they're saying, Hey, we need to do this. I'm like, Hey, yeah, freaking do it. Um, you know, so that's why you just want to be careful who your partner will. The balance. Spill it all out. Dude, it, it's so refreshing. And that's one of the smartest things. I talk about it in basketball all the time. We do these shooting drills for kids. And it's the hardest thing for them to learn because they all think they can fucking shoot. And it's like, well, if we do this drill 20 times and you can only get so far out and now we compare it with everyone else's scores and you're always at the bottom, you should not shoot that shot. <laughs> Yep. You've done it enough. And what you need to do is you need to recognize your weakness and accept it. You can work on it, but when push comes to shove, when the moment matters, it ain't your time, dude. If I, if like, if we need a three pointer and you've clearly demonstrated, you cannot shoot three pointers. Don't be salty when the play is not called for you. Why? Yep. Now your role. Do because, your job. Yeah. Right. And it's awesome. And maybe it's part of a, probably a huge part of your success is like you've identified these strengths and your weaknesses, and then you've found trusting people to fill it in, which sounds so simple, right? Like it would be chapter one of any book or a fucking whatever, yeah. a 30 second video. But I don't know if it actually happens because the hubris I feel gets to people. The ego, the I don't want to be weak, I can do it on my own kind of a thing I would feel would get to people. Yeah, go ahead and keep doing that. You'll never reach your potential. That's what I learned. <laughs> so it's like, you know, because I fight that. I'm a lone wolf, dude. It's like, I want to be that guy. Like, I want to be the guy who's, like, doing it all. But you just have to get some maturity and realize, okay, you know, what do I want to accomplish and can I do that? I can't. So you have to be okay with knowing that if you bring somebody on, not necessarily a 
partnership, like in business and stuff, to take over something you were doing, they're not going to do as good as you. You got to be okay with like, if I bring a guy on, he's going to do 80% of what I would because it's my baby and nobody's going to care about it as much as I would. And so you got to, you got to be okay with that, but also set metrics, set measurables and hold people accountable and then value them, you know? Yeah. The value thing's huge. Um, dude, I know you have three kids and I, I don't want to um, suck up all of your time. Is there yeah, something dude. we haven't gotten into that you kind of, I know it's kind of been sporadic. There was no real like outline or anything like that, but is there something that we have not gotten into that you wanted to just talk about or share some wisdom or a personal story you just thought would be cool to share? <laughs> no, I think we covered like we covered a gamut of things. And so if you walk away from this podcast, you didn't get any value, then I'm sorry. Uh, because we hit, you know, from the brand all the way to real estate. Um, so I will give a plug here. Yeah. Uh, this is a free resource. So I'm not trying to sell you guys anything. If you are interested in real estate, one of the biggest things that people struggle with is like, how do I evaluate a property? How do I analyze a property? So I put together a 19 point checklist is free of how to analyze properties. And so it just literally gives you 19 different factors that I look at when analyzing a property, like what to look for, maintenance, you know, mortgage, uh, vacancies, all types of things, HOAs, utilities, you name it. And so it's just a resource for you to be able to have should you want to go and look at real estate because that's kind of my main niche. So if you guys wanted that, you can find that on finance or on Instagram at finance cowboy, just click the link in my bio and then go snag it. And it will be so helpful for you. It's something that like, I wish I had, because I was like, okay, what resource do I need to put together for folks? I could have gone a lot of different ways and there's other resources I'll come out with, but I thought like step one is like what to look for when looking at a property. Cause nobody knows. So if you want that, it's there, go snag it. Dude, I love the 1% rule, even though you kind of walked back or like, yeah, it doesn't have to be the whole thing, but something is simple. Like I remember when I was buying a car and I'm like, I don't even know how to like when, whatever, 16, 17, I'm like finally going to get a car loan where I'm going to get something that's more than a thousand dollars, you know, like, yeah. oh shit, it's going to start every time I put the key in. This is going to yeah. be awesome type car. And I'm like, I don't understand when I finance it, what that means. Like, how much do I pay a month? And they were like, basically like a thousand dollars is like 17 bucks a month, dude. And I was like, thank you. Cause at least I can start there. And then hopefully I'm smart enough to like get the wiggle room. Yeah. And that's why I like that 1% thing. Um, to me, I love a start there. And then as you experience it, maybe now you go to the 19 point checklist. Cause now you're not doing 19 points for every fucking home that's out there. You yep. start with a basic filter, 1% yep. rule. Exactly. And then That's kind like, of your baseline. Will this even rent for 1% yeah. of the purchase price? If so, then let's explore it further. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Exactly. Stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm, you're so much more polite and nice probably because of your upbringing and your wonderful parents than <laughs> I am. But like, if people didn't get 10 different things if they're interested in the topic to at least make them think challenge if they had an opposing view a different value then um i don't know man then you just weren't listening you know what i'm saying like not yeah. not to be super negative but man i so jd man i so appreciate your time your willingness to share the energy you give and um just for putting out videos that even if you're not making money off them the fact that you put out knowledge like that on instagram to just help people get better um 
is awesome, man. So thank you so much for um, coming on the pod and letting people get to know a little bit about you, but more, it was really getting to know your mind. <laughs> no, for sure, dude. I really appreciate you having me and I hope you guys, you know, picked up stuff. Again, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. Instagram's my main source at Finance Cowboy. I'm on YouTube, Finance Cowboy and TikTok, the Finance Cowboy. So if you need me, holler at me, I'm here to help. And all that will be in the pod's description. We'll throw all those links in there. This way it's easy to click. Cool deal. All right, man. Enjoy the rest of your night, JD. And thank you so much again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally... If you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.